Welcome to The Heart Zone, featuring George Cannon. This broadcast is a time of teaching and encouragement from Kerwinsville Christian Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us on the web at www.kerwinsvillechristian.org. And now for a message from The Heart Zone. Here's George Cannon. Folks, we have been going through 1 Samuel. Now, we haven't hit every incident in 1 Samuel, but we are hitting incidents that teach us about faith, and that's going to be true today. We're going to see something that really up front seems very insignificant, but the reality is, is there's some powerful lessons for you and I. Because the question is, is we want to be people of faith, right? We want to live by faith. We want to live by a trust and a commitment in, in God and in the Lord, no matter what we face in life. But the fact of the matter is, is you and I both know that on a daily basis, you're faced with situations that demand a response from you. You're faced with situations where you feel that you need to act on your own because the pressure is there and it's mounting and you need to respond to it. And so what I want you to see today is, is in actuality, is that your faith is actually very vulnerable. What do you mean? God is the one who gives me my faith, George. What do you mean my faith is vulnerable? Well, your faith is vulnerable because you're vulnerable. You're vulnerable to the things that happen around you and how you respond to them. And so I want to show two things about that vulnerability before we look into David's life here. Here's the first one. Your faith is tied to your relationship with the Lord. That is a foundational truth that you need to understand. Your faith is tied to the strength of your relationship with the Lord. Have you noticed that? When you're walking with Jesus and you're spending time and you're interacting with him, your faith is strong when you face the things that you're facing. But if you're not walking with him and it's been a while since you talked with him and it's been a while since you've interacted with him and, and, and let him lead you in your life, have you noticed that when you face those crises, you just don't seem to have the faith and trust in Christ, the tr faith and trust in God to get you through that circumstance? You kind of feel left on your own. It's because, in a way, you are on your own. You decided you don't need the Lord in your life. So your faith is tied to your relationship with the Lord. Now do you see why you're vulnerable? Because the faith that you need to live your life day in and day out is tied to whether or not you have a relationship with the Lord. You're vulnerable, aren't you? You're vulnerable. I'm vulnerable. Here's the second thing I want you to see. The greatest threat to your faith is your sin. The greatest threat to your faith is your sin. You say, well, wait a minute, George, I thought the greatest threat to my faith was the false teachers. Really, for most of you, you're not going to be affected by false teachers. You're going to immediately recognize that and say, that's wrong. And you're going to shut that off and you're going to go on. You say, I thought the greatest threat to my faith was secularism that's happening in our culture. Yeah, that's significant, but I'm going to be honest with you, that's not changing what you believe about your Jesus, is it? no matter what you see on the news, no matter what somebody's arguing with you about concerning Christianity, you still have your faith there, right? That's not affecting your trust in Christ. You still have that hope. That may be a threat on some level, 
but in another way, but not the greatest threat to your faith in Christ, your trust in Christ. What is the greatest threat? The greatest threat to your faith, which is tied to your relationship with him, always is your what? Sin. Why? Because your sin affects your relationship with Christ. When I sin, I sin against who, folks? God. So when I sin against God, there's a brokenness in my fellowship. When there's a brokenness in my fellowship with the Lord, what does that do? Affects my trust in the Lord, my faith. You see the connection? We're vulnerable. We're vulnerable on a daily basis. Here's the scariest thing that can happen for you and I. It happens to me, it'll happen to you, is that we wake up in the morning and we think we're okay. I can handle this. I'm ready for the day. Really? Scripture talks about take heed lest you what? Fall. It's usually when you think you're ready to handle it because you're strong that you get your legs chopped out from underneath you by something you weren't even expecting. Sin. Sin is the greatest threat that you have to your faith. Now, what we're going to do today is we're going to look at an incident from the life of David. Now, remember, we were just talking about David last week. We saw David and his great victory over David and Goliath. Remember, that's a great victory. Now, we're going to see, fast forward a few chapters up to chapter 21, we're going to see David running for his life. Like, how did we get there? Well, you see, he got called into service by the king. He's killing all these Philistines. He becomes popular. He's given... Saul's daughter and everything's going well until Saul gets jealous and wants to kill David. So now David's on the run, running for his life, which is pretty interesting because God said, you're going to be the king one day. And so now David's facing a situation where faith isn't enough. He's got to do something on his own. You ever been in those kind of situations where something happens and you want to trust the Lord to get you through it, but the situation that you're facing demands that you do something now. Because faith seems to want you to wait on God, and I ain't got time to wait on God. Faith isn't enough. See, that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk today about how that vulnerability manifests itself when faith isn't enough, and what happens from it. We're going to see it in David's life. So I want you to look with me. We're going to look at chapter 21. We're going to start off, first of all, we're going to look at chapter 21 today, and we're going to look at chapter 22. We're going to focus, first of all, on verses 1 to 9 of chapter 21. I want you to notice with me verses 1 to 9. Now, David's running. He's running from Saul. Here's what it says, verse 1. Now, David came to Nob, to Ahimelech, the priest, and Ahimelech was afraid when he met David and said to him, Why are you alone? And no one is with you. So David said to Ahimelech, the priest, The king has ordered me on some business and said to me, Do not let anyone know anything about the business on which I send you or what I have commanded you. I have directed my young men to such and such a place. Now, therefore, what have you on hand? Give me five loaves of bread in my hand, or whatever can be found. And the priest answered David and said, There is no common bread on hand, but there is holy bread, 
if the young men have at least kept themselves from women. Then David answered the priest and said to him, Truly, women have been kept from us about three days since I came out, and the vessels of the young men are holy, and the bread is in effect common, even though it was consecrated in the vessel this day. So the priest gave him holy bread, for there was no bread there but the showbread, which had been taken from before the Lord in order to put hot bread in its place on the day when it was taken away. Now a certain man of the servants of Saul was there that day detained before the Lord, and his name was Doeg, the Edomite, the chief of the herdsmen who belonged to Saul. And David said to Himelech, Is there not here on hand a spear or a sword? For I have brought neither my sword nor my weapons with me, because the king's business required haste. So the priest said, The sword of Goliath the Philistine, whom you killed in the valley of Elah, there it is, wrapped in the cloth behind the ephod. If you will that, take it, for there is no other except that one here. And David said, There is none like it. Give it to me. All right, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at this passage, and we're going to talk about responding to the moment. We're going to gather from this passage some things about responding to the moment. Because that's what we do, folks. We find ourselves in situations where faith isn't enough, and you and I need to respond to the moment. So let's take a look here. Three things I want you to see. Here's the first one. The situation presents sin as the only option. The situation presents sin as the only option. Now here's what's going on. David is literally running for his life. If you read the chapters between chapter 17 and chapter 21, you would see that on many occasions, Saul has tried to kill him. Literally thrown a spear at him, trying to impale him with a spear. And in another instance, sent men to do the brutal work of slaughtering him. So he is literally on the run. He comes to Nob, where the tabernacle is, and the, the most holy things are, and he goes there, desperate, by himself, looking for food and weapons. And so when he shows up there, the high priest Ahimelech is there, and he's like, whoa, why are you here alone? What's going on? Why are you here? And here's what he does. He lies. Why? Because he can't trust anybody. Everybody's out to kill him. And he lies and he says, I'm on the king's business. I'm on the king's business. Do you have any bread? Goes a little bit further. I'm on the king's business. I just happen to forget. Does this make sense? He's a warrior. I just happen to forget my sword, my weapons. Do you have a weapon around here? What's he doing? He's sinning. Because that seems to be the only option, right? That seems to be the only option. Here's the thing. I'm seeing some of you smiling at me because isn't that the way life is? You find yourself continually in circumstances and it looks like the only option that you and I have is to do something that we know is what? Wrong. To do something that we know is sin. That's the only option because you know what? In that circumstance, 
Faith isn't enough. We even have a wrestling match. Should I do this? Should I do this? I know you don't want me to do this, Lord. Ah, but you forgive. Isn't that the mental games we play with ourselves? Lord, you'll forgive me. Because we think the only option is to sin. We think that. Because we're in a situation now where we're desperate and we've got to do something. That's the situation David's finding himself in, isn't it? Remember I told you we're vulnerable? Boy, that just exposed the vulnerability, didn't it? Because you and I can sit there and we can think back. I mean, I'm old enough now, I can think back to many instances where the situation dictated how I should respond and it had to be something other than faith. And you know what? I'm old enough to realize I'm going to face that situation many times again. So are you, right? But that's why we're looking at this passage because we need to respond by what? Faith, right? Rather than by sin. Faith rather than by sin. So the situation presents sin as the only option. Here's the second thing I want you to see. I think we know this one. Lying is easy in the heat of the moment. That's how we live our lives, right? But I'm going to be honest with you. We all know that lying is what? Sin. In fact, you know what's interesting? Proverbs lists seven things the Lord hates. I'm going to be honest with you. Lying is in that list. I mean, that's pretty significant where God comes right out and says, here's the seven things I hate. And lying is listed as one of them. But I'll be honest with you, when you're not living by faith, when faith is not enough, and you're just responding to the situation, I can almost guarantee it, I've done it, you've done it, lying becomes what? Easy. Because we think this is what we need to do. In fact, that's what David's doing here. Abimelech says, why, why are you here? I mean, this is unusual, David, for you to come in the middle of the night, come into the tabernacle. What are you, I mean, this is weird. Why are you here? Oh, I'm on a mission from the king. I had to leave quickly. Left my weapons, no supplies, but I'm on a mission. Tell me that doesn't sound weird. You're going on a trip, doing something secret for the, and you don't have your weapons, and you don't have any food? He's lying. It's easy in the heat of the moment, right? But here's the third thing I want you to see from this passage. I want you to notice with me. I want you to look with me at verse 7. This seems almost insignificant, but I'm going to read it to you again, all right? Verse 7 sounds totally insignificant to the story, but I'm going to read it to you. Here's what it says. Now a certain man of the servants of Saul was there that day, detained before the Lord. And his name was Doeg, the Edomite, the chief of the herdsmen who belonged to Saul. All right, well, here's the third point that you and I need to grasp. Here's the third point when you're just responding to the moment, when faith is not enough and you just want to sin. Here's what I want you to see. Consequences are not always evident at first. Consequences are not always evident at first. You realize that, right? You've heard the law of thermodynamics. You've heard there are certain laws about things that energy is neither created or destroyed. You've heard those kind of things that operate in the world that are just flat-out laws. That's the way they are. I'm going to tell you a law right now. 
Here's a law, a spiritual law. You may want to write this down. Sin always results in consequences. Write that down. Sin always results in consequences. You need to grasp that. Sin always results in consequences. Where did you get that from? Romans, the wages of sin is what? Death. There's always going to be a consequence of sin. And that little verse 7 that seems insignificant has a dramatic meaning later on because there's a consequence for David showing up there. There's a consequence for David lying to the high priest. There's a consequence for what's going on there. And you're going to see it in chapter 22. The fact of the matter is, folks, we may respond to the moment by sinning because we think faith is not enough but you need to understand this but we never do at the moment we need to understand that if I go in that direction somewhere opposite from what God wants me to do and what he's asked me to do I'm always going to face what folks the consequences and I think if you were wise enough to reflect back on your life like I'm reflecting back on my life Responding in the moment the way that I shouldn't respond always ends badly, doesn't it? Always. And I respond badly. Here's the thing. Let's connect it back to what I talked about earlier in the, in, in, in the message. I respond badly to the heat of the moment because I'm not connected with my Lord in a relationship. Because if I was walking with him, I could stand stronger in the moment. But if I'm not walking with him, Anything's up for grabs. And it always ends badly. Always ends badly. So let's get to chapter 22. Chapter 22, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna progress down now to verse 6. And we're going to hear a little bit more of this story because the fact of the matter is, folks, there are consequences. There's a price to be paid when we respond to the moment in sin. I want you to notice what happens. Look with me at chapter 22, verse 6. When Saul heard that David and his men who were with him had been discovered, now Saul was staying in Galbia under a tamarisk tree in Ramah with his spear in his hand and all his servants standing around him. Then Saul said to his servants who stood around him, Hear now, you Benjamites! Will the son of Jesse give every one of you fields and vineyards and make you all captains of thousands and captains of hundreds? All of you have conspired against me, and there is no one who reveals to me that my son has made a covenant with the son of Jesse. There is not one of you who is sorry for me or reveals to me that my son has stirred up my servant against me to lie and wait as it is this day. Then answered, okay, remember verse 7 in chapter 21? Then answered Doeg the Edomite, who was set over the servants of Saul, and said, I saw the son of Jesse going to Nob, to Ahimelech, the son of Ahiatub, and he inquired of the Lord for him, and gave him provisions, and gave him the sword of Goliath the Philistine. So the king sent to Ahimelech the priest, the son of Ahiatub, and all his father's house, the priests who were at Nob, and they all came to the king. And Saul said, Here now, son of Ahiatub. And he answered, Here I am, my lord. Then Saul said to him, Why have you conspired against me? 
you and the son of Jesse, and that you have given him bread and a sword and have inquired of God for him. He should rise up against me to lie in wait, that is, this day. So Ahimelech answered the king and said, Who among all your servants is as faithful as David? Who is the king's son-in-law, who goes at your bidding and is honorable in your house? Did I then begin to inquire of God for him? Far be it from me. Let not the king impute anything to his servant or to any in the house of my father. For your servant knew nothing of all of this, little or much. The king said, You shall surely die, Ahimelech, you and all your father's house. And the king said to the guards who stood about him, Turn and kill the priests of the Lord, because your hand also is with David, because they knew when he fled and did not tell it to me. But the servants of the king would not lift hands to strike the priests of the Lord. Then the king said to Doag, now remember, Doag's not an Israelite, he's an Edomite. The king said to Doag, you turn and kill the priests. And so Doeg the Edomite turned and struck the priest and killed on that day 85 men who wore the linen ephod. Also Nob, the city of the priest, he struck with the edge of the sword, both men and women, children, nursing infants, oxen, donkeys, and sheep with the edge of the sword. Now one of the sons of Ahimelech, the son of Ahiatub, was Abathar escaped and fled after David. And Abathar told David that Saul had killed the Lord's priests. And David said to Abathar, I knew that day when Doeg the Edomite was there that he would surely tell Saul, I have caused the death of all these persons of your father's house. Stay with me, do not fear, for he who seeks my life seeks your life. But with me, you shall be safe. Folks, there's a price to be paid. Let's talk about it. This sounds terrible. I mean, you've got to be kidding me. I mean, it starts off pretty innocent, right? He's just asking for bread and a sword. Are you kidding me? He wipes out 85 priests, a whole city for a lie? Let's look at the truths here. Three things. Number one, there will always be consequences. Why can't we grasp that? I'm, I'm talking about myself. You know what I'm saying? I'm not just talking about you folks. Why, why can't I, when I respond to the moment, when I don't act out of faith, but because of the situation, feel like the only thing that there is for me to do is to respond out of my humanness, out of my failures, out of my weakness, out of my vulnerability. Why can't I grasp that in doing that, there's always going to be consequences for my sin? Why can't I do that? Am, am I that hard-headed that I can't grasp? that when I do my own thing that's contrary to what God wants me to do, that there is a certain law, and that certain law is, is the wages of sin is death. Why can't I grasp that the consequences are always going to happen? Why can't I grasp that? Because there are always, there are always consequences. 
Always. You need to grasp that. In fact, here's the thing. Here's the, here's the subtle lie that Satan doesn't tell you. I mean, he, he tells you everything's going to be okay because sometimes the consequences don't happen immediately. And so we think, dodge that bullet. Oh, really? Just because the consequences always happen, it doesn't tell you that they happen immediately. It might happen down the road. But it'll happen. Why can't we grasp that? Here's the second thing. Sin is never a private affair. Sin is never a private affair. I mean, I'll be honest with you. Think about it for a moment. What did that whole city have to do with David? Nothing. It was only one man who talked to him, Ahimelech. What did the other 84 priests have to do with it? Nothing. What did the donkeys have to do with it? Nothing. It's never a private affair. Sometimes we, that's another lie that we have. Oh, well, you know, you, nobody else has to know about this. Nobody else has to know. You're just responding to the moment. It's not going to affect anybody else. Folks, sin never stays private. Never. It always destroys and destroys everything around you. Why can't we grasp that? That's why we're vulnerable. That's why we're vulnerable. Here's the third thing I want you to see. You must take responsibility for your sin and its consequences. You must take responsibility for your sin and its consequences. Because here's what happens. Saul didn't kill all the priests. He left one go, or one got away, and that was Abathar, the son of Ahimelech. He got away, and he fled to David, and he goes to David, and he tells David, this is what Saul did. Doeg, the Edomite, is killing them all. David, this is, you got to hand it to David, because here's what he does. He just flat out says, you know what? I saw him there. And I knew that he would tell Saul, this happened because of me. He took responsibility. Folks, is that not what we're supposed to do? Because the fact of the matter is, is God knows you're going to respond to the moment in some ways other than what he wants. You know that, right? First John chapter 2, my little children, I run unto you that you sin not. But if you sin, isn't that interesting? That's in the scripture. But if you sin, he already knows that you're going to what, folks? I'm going to what? We're going to fail. We're going to respond to the moment in a way that is wrong. But he's made provision for us. But if you sin, you have an advocate who is... The propitiation for our sin. What is that? The wrath satisfier. The atoning sacrifice. Who is that, folks? Jesus Christ. Isn't that awesome? What do we do? We do what David did. We take responsibility. First John 1 9. Go back one chapter. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to what? Forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. 
Is that awesome? Thank you for being with us this morning. And we trust that today's message has been both challenging and an encouragement to your heart. At Kerwinsville Christian Church, a warm welcome is always extended to you. We're located at 700 State Street, Kerwinsville, Pennsylvania. For more information about our ministry, please visit us on the web at www.kerwinsvillechristian.org. Now, on behalf of George Cannon and the entire church family, we hope that you will look to the Heavenly Father in all that you face this coming week.